You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. <laughs> what's up everybody welcome back to the hunting gear podcast i'm your host dan johnson and on this episode mr bob palanik is back he's sweaty and his poison ivy is going away but he's back and today we're talking about our bow setups our arrow setups and all the components that go into making a well-balanced bow. We talk about broadheads, we talk about total arrow weight, we talk about sights and rest and stabilizers, and it's kind of a good old-fashioned BS session. And I just wanted to take this time, I wanted to keep the intro short, but let you guys know that I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, whether or not you like the Hunting Gear podcast, five stars would be awesome. And also subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation podcasts, right? The Whitetail feed, the Big Game feed, the Fishing feed, or any of the other podcasts that you guys enjoy on the Sportsman's Nation. Last but not least, make sure you guys are following us on social media, Instagram and Facebook, and even go wild. Give us a follow. And I think that's it. So let's just go ahead and get into today's BS Session episode with my co-host, Bob Palanik. In three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. And not every time, but a lot of the time, I am joined by Mr. Bob Palanik. How you doing? Dan, I'm doing all right. I'm a little sweaty. <laughs> uh, if we're gonna be honest. So Is it- I just did a just did a three mile hike with 35 pounds in my backpack. Okay. I thought you were just at work sweating. Like you're that guy. Well, it is, it is, it was work related. So I, you know, I do water, wastewater. So, 
once a month we've got to do meter reads and there's this neighborhood and it's a three mile loop. And, uh, normally I have one of my guys do it because I'm not terribly interested in doing the meter reads, but, uh, this time of year I volunteer to do it. And I always throw on a, basically June, July, and August, I just throw on a backpack and do them. It's about, like I said, three mile loop. And, uh, it was 80 degrees and I should have brought an extra work shirt. There you go. And now you're just a, a wet mess. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Moist. Moist. How's Not the poison really ivy? Word. Dude, it is good. It's clearing up. It's uh, There's no itching going on. And uh, that was for as bad as it was and as bad as it should have been and could have been. Um, the steroids did the trick and it's all it's all calmed right down. So very thankful that that wasn't worse than what it was. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Thank you. I, I know that was the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast uh, when me and Bob talked about Poison Ivy and how much it sucks. So if you want to listen to us bitch about Poison Ivy, go listen to that episode. Right. But today we are going to get back into the gear side of things. And uh, it sounds to me like you got your new bow. You've been messing around with some sights and rests and all that stuff. So this is kind of going to be kind of a, uh, a grab bag episode where we talk a whole bunch about our bows, our arrows, our rests, our sights, kind of just a, a BS session about that. And, uh, is that, I think that's what you wanted, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your, it's your podcast, man. I'm just a co-host. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get out of responsibility here. So that's All when right. you, that's when you say, hell yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm going to interview, I'm going to interview you, Dan. Oh, great. No. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to talk about all those things. And um, you mentioned on a previous podcast, because I, I think we've talked a little bit about all of this stuff, but never really put it together in an episode. And you mentioned on an earlier episode that you've gotten some, you got a new bow this year, right? Yeah, that is correct. Okay. So what bow did you get? Remind us what bow you got, and then talk to us about what you've been doing recently to get it tuned, set up, and ready to go. Alrighty, so I went with the Matthews VXR. They've got two. They've got a twenty-eight inch axle, axle, and a thirty-one and a half inch. And I went with the thirty-one and a half inch just because um, I've got a twenty-nine and a half inch draw, so that string angle is just a little, a little nicer. Um, I'm coming from. Uh, a Matthews chill X, which had like a 35 inch axle axle, which that really had a nice string angle on it. It kept that peep a little closer to your eye. Um, and yeah, so I, I switched to, uh, the VXR for, for two reasons, really one, um, it's, you know, it's five, it's been five, uh, I think it's been six years. Um, and there's nothing wrong with my old bow. It's just, it was a want, you know. And then on top of that, I just uh, wanted something that could, uh, that shot a little faster and could uh, turn the poundage up a little more on it. So um, that kind of led me to the the VXR. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'll, do you want me to just go through the specs? Well, you don't need to go through the specs. Uh, what's your draw length? 29 and a half. Okay, and you shoot 70. Uh, I've got it turned up to 77. 77. Yes. Jeez, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Settle down. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> I know. I know. No, well, that's crazy because I was, I shot 70 for the longest time 
And then one year, this is a long time ago, uh, I got a new Elite. And back then, the Elites uh, then started selling the options to go 80 to 80-pound limbs. So I got the 80-pound limbs. And I was lifting really heavy back th- back then. That was, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that. And when I was drawing back, it was easy, right? I mean, I, I was strong. I-, I was doing it. But one thing I noticed when I bumped all the way up to 80 is that my practice times got shorter because I ended up getting starting to get fatigued because I-, I probably wasn't shooting enough. And then I bumped up at the same time uh, my you know, my draw weight and my arrows were going all over the place. Right. So the mixture of me not being in shape or, you know, shooting enough at that weight and probably the fact that I was underspined, had underspined arrows for that, that weight and the speed of that, uh, that was coming off of that, uh, that knock that it probably was just a mess from the start. But what I will say <laughs> is I shot a doe at about 20 yards with an 80 pound bow, uh, a mechanical broadhead. It was a, a, a wasp uh, jackhammer. And dude, it went through her so fast. She had no clue what, <laughs> what, what happened. And she just stood there for a while. She didn't even kick. She, it, it just went through her so fast. She just stood there and then she fell over and died right in her own tracks. So there's some cool things that come with uh, an 80 pound bow, you know, and being able to do that. But I I think I learned my lesson to the point where I probably, unless I can dedicate shooting my bow all year round, 80 pounds is no longer in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I'll kind of elaborate on some of the things because it's not necessary to draw. I'm not at 87. It's got a 75 pound module in it so it's like maxed out it's like 77 it's obviously not necessary um but and i'll say i've been very careful of my shoulders i basically i went to physical therapy a year and a half ago for um uh, tendonitis in both of my shoulders and it was a combination of working out too much um and then rowing my drift boat too much um it just it messed me up. And since then, I've been very uh, proactive about just like working them out. And I don't even lift heavy weights or anything like that. Just like doing like a lot of the same PT exercises that, uh, that I, was, I was taught. And then, you know, using like a foam roller on them and stuff like that and uh, doing the proper stretches. And then, yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I got this bow and actually I actually ordered it with the 70 pound mods on it. And I shot it with those for a while till I got used to it and comfortable. And then I jumped up and pounded it's just, just for protection of, of my shoulder and stuff like that. Cause I hear a lot of guys have got bad shoulders by the time they're 45, 50. And I'm sure that down the road, I'm going to have issues. But, um, the main reason for that weight is last year. Oh man. I think I, five different buddies shot elk and didn't get a pass through and lost blood trails and didn't recover their bulls. And so it's kind of like going on that thought. It's like, well, what can I do to get a better, better odds of getting a pass through 
on an elk and a better blood trail and lead to recovery. Yeah. And this was just one of the, the, this is a solution that I came up with. So um, I think when whitetail season comes around, I'll probably drop it back down to 72, 73, something like that. But as far as, you know, as far as elk hunting in September, if you're, if you're stalking a bull, I mean, your body's pretty warm. It, it shouldn't be too bad to, it's not like you're pulling a 77 pound bull back with cold a cold body sitting yeah. in a tree stand that's you know and it's 20 degrees out so yeah so yeah um so yeah just been i i just like i just want to say for all the listeners yeah there's no need to shoot that much weight if, if you can't <laughs> handle it but you're so. uh you're kind of a specimen dude so uh nah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway right <laughs> <laughs> so um so okay did you buy new accessories or did the site and the rest from last, the last bow you shot transition over? Um, I got, I got all, I went all new and I kept, I kept my old bow as well. Okay. So all new, all new arrows, all new, everything's all new. Okay. So, so what did you get for a rest? What did you get for a site? Um, the rest is it's, Matthews and QAD like combined together for like a specific Matthews rest. It's like the integrated MX rest. And I was actually just playing around with it yesterday. Um, basically it's, it makes it very easy to broadhead tune your bow. Um, I was, I had my, my bow all sighted in. I started shooting broadheads and they were hitting about six inches to the right. And that, that drop away rest has two dials on it and they're, they're just a micro move. Like each click is like a 10 thousandth of an inch movement. And I just clicked it a couple times shot and it brought it over. You know, I moved it to the left and it, it tightened that broad head up um, where it was hitting about three inches to the right and a couple more clicks and I had it, you know, dead on. So did you paper tune it first? Yeah, it was yeah, it was paper tuned at the at the shop. Okay. All right. So so you, so you paper tuned it, then you went out and shot, and then you adjusted your your rest again? Yes. Okay. So is it paper tuned still? Uh, I'd have to go back and check, so yeah. Haven't got haven't gotten that far. I got you. Okay. Yeah, cuz you know, I don't know. I I've a lot of people do the paper tune thing, but I've talk to a lot of archery shop owners who are just like, yeah, that's great. If the arrow is coming off of your, uh, bow straight at, you know, the first three feet, it has 20 more yards, 30 more yards to go until it hits its target. So what's the arrow doing then? Right. Right. So I've never really understood, you know, I get it and I've done it before, but I've never really understood why paper tuning is so important. Yeah. Um, after uh, everything that I've read, it's kind of, it's just crazy that you can move your rest around and get your broadhead tuned in and your field points will still be perfectly tuned, even though you just moved your rest. That That's what blew me away. So huh. my field, my field points were still accurate. 
So you're so, so you were shooting fine with your broad or with your field points. Your broadheads were a mess. You made some adjustments. Now your broadheads and your field points are on point. Yes. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that was that was at the furthest I shot a broadhead was at forty yards. So okay. I was yeah. pretty happy with that. What about your uh, your sight? So I went with a uh, a black gold sight. It's called a uh, Revenge, and basically I went the custom route with it. Um, so it's a five pin sight. It's all it's fixed. You know, it doesn't have the the uh, the adjustment for you know longer range practicing. But um, I I have my first two pins are the uh, it's like point zero one nine inch diameter. Yeah. And then um, the bottom three pins are smaller. They're they're 0.010. Yeah. So I and in the way that I set my sight up personally is 20, 40, 50, 60, 80. Those are my five pins. 20, and, 40, 50, 60, 80. Yeah. Okay. Basically, uh, the, there's just not enough. I, there's not enough space for me personally um, between 20 and 30 to have a pin at 30. So I just gap shoot between 20 and 40. Okay. It's never really been, it's never really caused any issues. I've actually found that you're almost, if you're shooting a deer at 30, you're almost, now you almost have two pins lining up on, on the deer opposed to just one. Right. So you almost have like one on the, on the one right below its back and one right above its belly. And it's almost, I don't know, it seemed, it seemed like it was easier to, uh, to aim at deer at 30 yards. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, with those smaller pins, obviously the further you get back from your target, you know, that pin just like blocks more and more the, you know, the further away you are. So it, it definitely seems to be helping um, with accuracy at those, at those further yardages. Okay. Smaller pins. Okay. So. Yeah. So um, I like that idea of having the, the bigger, uh, what, pins on top and then having them kind of cuffed down at the bottom smaller at the bottom for because there are times when you're shooting specifically longer distances where i think they call it pin blindness or something yes. like that where you're at, out at 60 or 70 yards you're trying to you know find the sweet spot and there's the whole pin is covered up the lungs and the heart right so yeah you're on target but it's hard to get specific at that at that distance. Right. Yeah. Right. And another thing just for listeners and mainly cause I just don't want any blowback. I will not be taking a shot at any animal at 80 yards. <laughs> that is simply to just practice at a, at a longer yardage. Okay. So gotcha. Just disclaimer. All right. So the, uh, this year I'm not getting a new bow. I th okay. I'm pretty sure I'm not getting a new bow. Uh, however, I think this is the first year where I'm going to have two bows set up. Um, one for Western hunting when I go on my mule deer hunt and then one for tree stand hunting. So I got a, a prime CT three uh, that that was last year's flagship bow. And then two years ago I got the, uh, the logic and that's a, I think a 30, 30 or 31 inch axle to axle. So it's a, the, the logic is a shorter axle to axle, 33 inch for the CT3. And 
So my, I think I'm going to take my longer axle to axle out West and on that uh, bow, I'm going to have a rip cord drop away rest. It's going to be the same, uh, same rest as the other two, uh, uh, the, the same rest on both bows. Uh, I'll just buy another one. And then I have a HHA Kingpin with a, a, it's a single pin slider. So, you know, you tune it in and you crank it to 20, crank it to uh, 30 or, or whatever. And just the experience that I've had out West, that short amount of time is, I should have enough time to get the yardage. It, it's not like the full blown rut where there could be a deer just blowing by you a hundred miles an hour. Right. Right. Um, and you know, I think that's going to transition into elk hunting next year where I, I practice with a single pin and take a single pin out West. And then I, I have a fixed pin trophy Ridge react, right? That's the one where you do your 20 and your 30 and then just by those calculations, it automatically does your, your 40, 50, and 60 Okay. down. Yep. So that, that's a five pin site, 20, 40, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Yeah. 60. So practice that out to 60 yards. And, uh, I don't have a tree stand where I can shoot 60 yards to period. I think the, the right. longest I shot, I'll ever take in the timber is probably like 35 yards. That's what, that's what I allow myself. So, yeah. So if yeah. I'll have a fixed pin for my, my whitetail tree stand hunts. And when I go to Michigan and then I'll take my, when I go take my other trip to South Dakota, I'm going to have a single pin dial. I think that's the setup I'm going with this year. Um, and man, just, it's going to be, a little bit more work because I'm going to be practicing with both both bows all the time. But I really think that uh, it's just going to give me a better because I one thing I, I did when I went on my second hunt was I changed things up. I changed I changed gear up after I went on my elk hunt and then I came back and went to whitetails and I didn't want to do that again. But I I changed up a a sight on my bow when I got back from my first elk hunt. And I said, I don't want to do that again. I think what I want to do is just keep, keep a bow. And now I'll have two bows, one for whitetails, one for out West. So that's my thought process going in. And, uh, I just basically have to train myself and just keep shooting and shooting and shooting and set those bows up to the point where that's, uh, that's how I'm going to do it. What are your, what are your thoughts? If you could, have a, a west a western bow and a, a I guess a whitetail bow would you do it or do you like one bow for it all I would I would do it if my if my old bow shot faster see I think speed is a little bit more necessary for whitetails um, I've just had so many especially filming them I've had so many deer jump the arrow you know it, whether it's a good it's a good shot you know you it's still a great shot placement but when you slow down the footage you can tell they're already starting to move before impact um i've just had a lot of high lung hits and stuff like that and I, a lot of it i think is because they start just jumping the string yeah um or or they hear the arrow coming um i think that's another big thing too that's kind of not not thought about but um yeah i would i'm, I'm not gonna lie i'm, I'm I'm going to miss my old bow. I mean, I would think you shoot a bow for six years. I mean, it's 
it's it's you're just deadly accurate with it um and it's it's just it's lighter too gosh it's got to be a a full pound or pound and a half lighter that vxr is heavy and it's also top heavy to the point where i took my quiver and i put it upside down so i have more weight on the bottom of the bow to help balance it out and now it's balanced perfect but now my quiver is upside down which isn't a big deal like as far as like hunting with your quiver on and reloading an arrow i don't see it causing any delay in getting like a second shot off or anything like that um my only concern with having that the quiver upside down is now all the knocks are pointed forward so if i'm walking through the you know i'm walking through the mountains and there's brush and stuff like that I'm going to be looking to see how much my arrows are, are grabbing on uh, small bushes and weeds and stuff like that and see if it's going to be an issue. Yeah. So I'll actually, I'll actually probably look into that well before I go elk hunting. There's a total archery challenge event up by me um, in about a month that I'm going to go to and we'll see how it fares there. And then I'll probably start doing some hiking and, and seeing how, hiking with a weighted pack on through some more uh, hilly country and see how, See if that causes any issues with any um, any debris getting stuck in those knocks. That's that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. So. Well, I'll tell you this, yep. man. You mentioned arrow noise. I didn't even think arrow noise was a real thing, right? I mean, every once in a while, let's say you're uh, you're shooting real tight groups, and a either a broadhead or a field point catches one of your fletchings, and then you can maybe hear it, but. If you're shooting a perfect arrow, you don't necessarily hear that, especially if you're practicing in an environment where it's loud, like maybe lots of birds chirping or you can hear cars or wherever. I didn't notice that until I was I started shooting with friends and I would stand back a ways just to get a different angle on, you know, them shooting and you can definitely hear arrows flying through the air, right? So imagine a whitetail and their very quick reaction speeds, uh, hearing something 20 yards away from them before, you know, it gives them that much time. Although it may just be a split second, that reaction time that they have is so crazy. I mean, I've seen yeah. does duck arrows completely at 20 yards, inside yeah. 20 yards, right? Just way, yeah. you know, six inches over their back at 20 yards just because yep. they, they dropped. So uh, it might be worth a guy to go and shoot with a buddy and have his buddy stand, you know, obviously. I, I say this just imagining someone shooting their best friend <laughs> with a with a, right. a bow. <laughs> but stand back away, but, you know, safely and, uh, and listen to those arrows go by. And that might be one of those things where it could be the broadhead and it could be the fletchings it could be you know several things that are making it making it loud man i i think i remember a handful of years ago this broadhead company put a ton of money into the design of one of their broadheads and then they started testing it and or they didn't test it for noise but then they sent it out to the public and they were all started to buy it and it was loud as shit like you could definitely hear it coming yeah that's i just ran into that problem yesterday yeah so um but the, real quick on the on the fletchings i think fletchings are a huge part of the noise so i actually went to 
on this on this new bow the arrows the arrows i'm shooting are they're they're black eagle spartans so they're it's a heavier arrow um but i went to a i put a four fletch on them yep and they're the veins are a fusion 2.1 or something like that and um they have like that that kind of that scoop in the back you know you know what i'm talking about like you know how blazer veins just have like a, a rounded out edge yeah um these kind of like that that rounds in and i think that cuts down on a lot of a lot of noise from your fletching but um i was super excited about iron will broadheads and, and testing those out this year and uh, i shot a couple different versions of them yesterday and they are loud they're too they're too loud they're too loud to the point where i have a couple hundred dollars worth of broadheads that i'm not sure what i'm gonna do with so, really very yeah, very disappointing in that. So I, I okay, think I'm hoping that. Let's get into that. Let's get into that. I'll, I'll share my kind of my arrow setup uh, when we're done talking about this because you went in and you did some testing, right? You did testing on how many different broadheads? Uh, right now, I'm just up to three. Three. Okay. As far, it's all it's all fixed blade. This is all fixed blade. Okay. I'm not I'm not worried about noise from a mechanical. They don't. They're usually pretty quiet. Okay. So are you thinking that you want to move to a fixed blade broadhead this year? Well, for elk, I always shoot fixed blade. And yeah, so that's kind of where I've, I've always shot um, the G5 Strikers. Mm -hmm. And I've had no issues with those. Um, they're pretty quiet. They've always, they've always flown great. And then I kind of got wind of a company called Iron Will. I think it's Iron Wheel Broadheads or Iron Wheel Outfitter or something like that. Yep. I actually met the met the guy at ATA and uh, liked what they had. And I, I had been listening to a couple different podcasts with some guys and they're just talking to it's a they're you know, I think they're made in maybe Colorado, something like that. And then um they just they hold a really good edge. And someone made a comment to me about it's not about how sharp your arrow is when it hits an animal, it's how sharp not your arrow, your broadhead. Um, it's about how sharp your broadhead stays throughout the whole animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if it, if, if you have a very sharp broadhead and then it's dull within the first couple of inches, well, that doesn't really do you any good. Right. So, and it just, everyone kind of swore by how, how great of an edge these iron wheel broadheads, uh, kept. So that's what I went with, but yeah, they're, the I think that I'll be asking my wife to shoot them out of her bow a little slower, and hopefully they're they're a lot quieter out of her bow where I can get use out of them. Otherwise, um, yeah, if anyone wants to buy them from me, hit me up on Instagram. <laughs> I don't like these; they didn't perform the way I wanted them to. But I'll tell you <laughs> what; they're for sale if you guys want to. <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> how, what, how did you know they're loud? I mean, could you hear them yourself? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not like it, it wasn't like a high pitched whistle, but you can just hear that. You can hear all the air it's pushing. It's, I mean, it's, you can, it's, it's, it's very loud. Okay. So, so did you shoot? And then this is just the nerd side of me, making sure we have a, a proper test being done. You shot the same arrow with the same fletchings with a field point on it, then you put your iron wheel broadheads on and that's when the noise came. Yep. So okay. there's two, uh, there's, there's a regular iron wheel and it's just a two blade. It's got, it does have a bleeder vein on or a bleeder. 
yeah, bleeder blade on it. Um, and then there's the wide, and the wides were even were even louder. And then I threw a striker on, and the striker was was you could hardly tell that it was louder than a field point. Okay. So there's just something wrong with the aerodynamics of that, or or it's or I mean I'm only shooting because the arrows it's a pretty heavy arrow. It's 520 grains, um, with the broadhead and all that. And, uh, so it's only shooting about 275 feet per second. And so I don't know if it's just a speed thing too fast. I don't know. Gotcha. I don't know. So uh, I mean, and they're uh, expensive. They're, they're a yeah. hundred bucks for three of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an expensive broadhead. And did you do any searching to see if anybody else has uh, noise issues with them? No, no. I, I mean, I, I did a bunch of reviews on it and, uh, everyone loves them. Highly recommended. I did not see, I did not, I did not hear anyone talk about noise. Hmm. So, yep. Man, that's crazy. I would assume that, you know, cause typically these day, d- days with enough gear nerds as there are out there that if a product has a problem, someone's going to say something about it. Well, I also don't know if, if people just don't <laughs> care about the yeah. the noise that their broadhead makes right man so. I, and i'll tell you that's probably one of the things if any that people just don't think about yeah right so yeah. whatever well so you did this and now you're not going to use them are you going back to your g5s then you you thinking you're going to stay with your g5s well yeah and i was i was going to have g5s in my quiver no matter what because at ata we sat down with g5 and i remember we talked to yeah one of the broadhead engineers yeah one of the owners and yeah, yeah and he i was talking to him about the strikers because they came out with like uh it's called the now it's the striker v2 and they're like a little bit they're a little bit wider and i guess just like they have just better tolerances and i was asking about it and he was like well He's like, truthfully he's like there were some tolerance issues and stuff like that with the original strikers that we really needed to address and he's like, we're so he's like, we're really happy with, you know, the striker V2s and stuff like that. And uh, my wife shot them last year. And um, so, I, I mean, they flew great out of her bow and I know they're quiet. So I actually stole one of hers and threw it on one of my arrows last night when those iron wheels were being loud just to make sure it wasn't like my arrow setup or something. And yeah, sure enough, that was it. Also, that striker hit closer to the bullseye than those iron wheels did so when so I was, there was uh, a big there's a bigger difference from your field points and the iron wheels than there was from the field points to your uh your striker correct okay all right yeah and i'll tell you there's something about it whether you think it's the product or it's the way you're shooting having something that performs good regardless of if you're accurate, you know, that it's the confidence thing where there's a lot of products that I'm not a, I don't go out and do these big tests on my gear. Like I probably should, to be honest with you. But if a product performs what very good while you're using it specifically, you know, especially in the woods, I think that that has a big, you know, that has a big, I don't know, carries a big weight when you're actually making a decision on what products to continue to use or, you know, put to the side and find something else. Yeah. I'm all, 
on top of that, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about taking the life of an animal. So yeah. I need to have confidence that that product is going to be stealthy enough to not cause an arrow, a, a deer to jump an arrow. And then also, you know, confident that it's going to kill the animal. And honestly, as far as the broadhead, broadhead design goes, I'm not really worried about a, a two blade versus a three blade versus a four. I, I know in my, you know, just the knowledge of shot placement. I mean, you can shoot a white tail with a field point and kill it if you hit it in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's a fact, man. So what are there any other broad uh, broadheads that you have picked out that you want to test before you make your final decision? I mean, there, yeah, but the uh, broadhead budget is getting pretty slim. Oh, so <laughs> you got some expensive I, paperweights, though. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I might. I, I've I've read a lot of good reviews about um, the QAD Exodus head, as far as a fixed blade for elk. Yep. Or I mean, any big game. I I might give those a shot, but um, as long as those strikers work, I'll probably just go with those. Yeah. So oh. Oh, let me take the back. So Iron Will, um, they have different, they have they have vented and solid broadheads. I did order another package of Iron Will broadheads, and they're the solids. And I'm wondering if the solids will be much will be quieter. Okay. And so we can come back to that, but um, just yeah. a little bit less air disruption, probably. Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think that was, uh, that, that broadhead I was telling you about the way they cut the, the blade made it loud. So I think they went back the next year and redid it and it ended up quieting it down quite a bit. So, man, who knows, who knows what, uh, I'd love to hear if you are a broadhead expert or are, you know, knowledgeable in aerodynamics, we would love to hear your thoughts on what makes a broadhead loud because uh, me and Bob are, you know, we're just a couple slap dicks who love talking, talking about gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, go ahead. I'll tell you. So I, I, if uh, most people that listen to podcasts are probably going to be familiar with the Kafaru cast and Aaron Snyder, that's where I got the whole idea of, of iron wheels. He, he had the owner on, and he talked. I mean, Aaron Snyder was talking about how he shot, like, multiple animals with the same broadhead. And he never said anything about noise. And the more I thought about it, he's a stick bow shooter, so he's shooting slower. Yeah. So if, if you're shooting, I don't I don't want to knock um, Iron Will, but if you're shooting slower, uh, a slower arrow, slower bow, whatever you want to call it, uh, maybe, maybe still give him a, a look, give him a shot. And uh, like I said, once I... Once I have my wife throw a couple of those um, through her bow, I, I don't know the speed of what what her bow shoots, but uh, we'll follow up on it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I heard rumblings. Man, I, I'm not. I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this yet. The guy is like, "Well, I'm going to come out with a new arrow," but um, the uh, I'm going to be getting some a little bit heavier arrows. This is what I will say. This year, I I shot. Uh, uh, day six arrows okay? okay i love those arrows they're very consistent they're they have the tolerance is so small compared to most arrows out there right and uh so it's a 
it's a heavier arrow. This year, they're coming out with a new arrow that's a bump up from what I am currently shooting, right? So last year, my total arrow weight with fletchings and broadheads and outsert on the front end was uh, 512 grains. Okay. That, that was the, the average. And so this year, I think with the bump up to their next heaviest arrow, and I don't know yet if I'm if I'm going to be shooting a 125 grain head yet, but they have the, the weighted outsert on the tip. They have a heavier, um, they have a heavier total arrow weight grain grains per inch, which causes a, or doesn't cause, but it has a heavier spine, right? So, and I, I shoot a four fletch. And just like you said, I shoot a, uh, they're the day six veins, but they are lower profile and okay. they had, so there's four of them on there. So I'm shooting a four, four fletch as well. Uh, and my total arrow weight, sh- depending on if I shoot a, oh geez, depending if I shoot a 125 grain broadhead, I'm probably going to be north of 540. So I'm going to be jumping up another 50 to 100 grains give or take uh on on that so i could be shooting close to five fit five five seventy five to 600 uh depending on what my what i choose on the on the tip of the arrow so i'm definitely gonna be having enough arrow weight to get the job done but uh I th- and I think, you know, for beginners, because, you know, we don't really focus on beginners here quite quite a bit, and I think we need to. Um, and that is that a lot of people, their biggest mistake is shooting an under-spined arrow. And that causes a shit ton of accuracy problems downrange because their bow, let's just say they're shooting 70 pounds, they're, they're shooting a toothpick out of a rocket launcher. And it just... It, not only can it be dangerous, right, if you don't do right. it right, but at the same time, that arrow is coming so violently out of the bow that it's just a wet noodle at that point going down range. So if you are listening to this and you are in the beginning stages of trying to break down archery, my recommendation would be to always go to a heavier arrow if you can. And forget speed for just a moment because speed is important at some point, but as a beginner, I don't think it's something that you should necessarily be worried about. Accuracy uh, and practice are probably the two biggest things. And you're not going to be able to, uh, if you have a heavier arrow, you're going to be more accurate and it's going to make archery more fun for you because you know, there's nothing more fun than hitting your bullseye. Right. Right. So, um, I would say always try to shoot the heaviest arrow that you can. Um, and obviously me and Bob are talking about arrow weights that are going to be, you know, from in the 500s and 600 grain category, but that that's more than what's needed. Right. Probably. Yes. Uh, Yes, it is. So, so we're talking about something completely different. So if you're shooting a, a, a bow, and I don't even want to say what an average range is because then we have to start talking about what the average draw weights are and the average draw lengths and all this other stuff. But if you're going to break, if you're going to choose an arrow, choose heavier than what you're probably 
recommended or used to just to make sure that your arrow is spine stiff enough for what you're drawing. Yeah. So, um, couple things on that. Uh, I got to make sure all my thoughts are lined up before. All right. So real quick, uh, the bow that I've been shooting for the last six years before this VXR, I was shooting a 400 total, 400 grain total weight arrow out of it. Yeah. FYI. Yeah. And that took, that took down an elk at 40 yards with a pass through, um, took down multiple whitetails with, uh, mechanical broadheads. So, um, yeah, I don't recommend going that light. I didn't even know I was that light. I didn't even know what my arrow weight was until um, I started playing around with a new bow. And I was like, I wonder what I've been shooting. And I, I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, no wonder I've had, you know, uh, not getting pass-throughs with a mechanical. Um, and then uh, another thing that I have found through my research on the interweb is that you start getting north of... 280 feet per second and it gets increasingly harder to get a fixed blade to uh tune properly out of your bow or to, or to fly properly out of your bow um i don't know what it is about the higher speed uh but i guess it just makes your arrow get a little more squirrely uh just the higher speeds you go yeah. um north north of 280 there's like north of 275 280 is kind of the common feet per second that i saw and then as far as shooting a 100 grain versus a 125 grain broadhead, um, at ATA, we spoke to, I don't remember how many different broadhead companies we spoke to, but there was there was two or three broadhead, broadhead engineers that were, or designers or whatever. I know where you're that, going with this, yeah. Yep, they un, it was unprompted. It wasn't even we wouldn't even pose the question, but there was two or three that said, we really wish everyone in the industry would shoot 125 grain broadhead because the 125s versus the 100s are such a superior broadhead between durability, between keeping a, a better edge, uh, tolerances, everything. So, um, and yeah. they just said it'd be great if the industry would steer towards a 125 over a 100. Yeah. But. And after listening to that, that is where I was like, okay, wait, are you serious? And then you have people who these companies are only putting out 100 grain broadheads because people think that it's going to slow their arrow down. Right? right. And I think all of them said, it's not necessarily going to, it's not going to slow your arrow down hardly at all 25 grains isn't going to slow your arrow down hardly at all but what it will do is weight that front just a little bit so you get a little bit more uh i guess less variance in your arrow coming off the bow right because more weight right. coming off the bow is better for the most part right, right? right. and it, like yeah that's it's that's a great point bob because every guy every engineer we talked to said you know if I was in charge. I wouldn't even make a hundred grain head anymore. They would all be one twenty five and up. So the only reason they're making a hundred grain broadhead is because the general public who buys broadheads is not educated enough to know why. Because all they're doing is taking a hundred twenty five grain broadhead and filing it, fi filing twenty five grains off of it. 
right? right. Which makes the ba- the blades bend easier, the ferrule less durable, all these things, right? So yep. um, I think this conversation right now, I'm, I'm not even going to consider 100 grain anymore. It's going to be 125s this year, abs- without a doubt. We did it, folks. Easy. Yep. Yep. That was an easy one. So spread the word. Uh, 100 grain broadheads are weak and you don't need them anymore. Yeah. Bump up, bump up. So let's see here. Um, man, I, I think from my broadhead of choice is, you know, I like fixed blades. I absolutely love fixed blades, but man, I hate to say it. I wish I had a mechanical broadhead on my arrow when I shot my mule deer this year because I only hit one lung with my fixed blade and uh, we tracked blood forever and eventually, you know, we never found him. But if I feel like I would have done more damage if I had my wasp jackhammer on instead of my my boss four blade. Now, I think the cutting the sur- the cutting surface area is roughly it's close to the same if if it's bigger or smaller it's just by a small amount but i'm telling you man just like a wider swath going through that animal could have meant i nicked another lung or i nicked a heart or i nicked something else right and it's one of those things where you know he stood up and i was centered right behind that shoulder and then as I am going through my release process, which is hard to stop, he rocks back about four inches. So I, I hit just a little bit above the shoulder blade, kind of going straight down. And I think I just hit the one lung. And that has me thinking. And it, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are because I overthink everything these days, especially whether or not I should use a mechanical or a fixed blade. Uh, my go-to has been a smaller cutting diameter, if you want to say that, but it has a really good cutting surface area, and that was the Wasp um, four blade. Absolutely love that head. And then throughout the years, I've always used uh, a Wasp jackhammer. Like it was one of the first uh, broadheads that I ever bought with my own money, and uh, so I would I I just and it's and it worked for me. So I continually and continuously used uh, wasp jackhammers, right? And I slammed my buck this year with it, and it went 20 yards and died. And I don't know, man. I'm thinking I want to shoot mechanicals this year now. Even after after me saying that I'm never going to go back to mechanicals again. (laughs) Never say never. Yeah. with that, with that much arrow weight, Dan, I would not hesitate to shoot a mechanical. So yeah, I personally shoot mechanical and fixed. I have both in my, I have both in my quiver. Mine is well. So for elk, it's always going to be uh, fixed. I won't have any. I won't have any mechanicals. I part of it's. I think Montana, you you, you can't shoot mechanicals. I don't think I know in Idaho you have to. Ha- I think it, I'm almost positive. There's no mechanical broadheads allowed in yeah. Idaho. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, elk are just, they're just so tough that no, I have no desire to, to hit one with a mechanical. I know plenty of guys do it and it's great. But um, for me, it just seems, it seems just smarter to just shoot an elk with a, a fixed. Yeah. Um, now with whitetails, 
if I think that I am in a spot that I'm going to get maybe like a 30 or 40 yard shot, um, over a 20 yard shot, you know, I will put, I'll put a, a fixed blade on, but typically when I'm whitetail hunting, I am running a mechanical and, um, I have shots. So the, the mechanical broadhead that I had been using the past three, four years is a NAP kill zone. And that's a two inch, it's a two blade, two inch cut. And it's, it's definitely absorbs a, quite a bit of energy when on upon impact to open up. And I was shooting that at, out of a 70 pound bow with, uh, a 400 grain arrow. You know what I mean? Um, and that thing's opening up and almost getting a, a pass through. I think if you're going to be shooting a, a 500 grain arrow or, or, or more, you're not going to have any issues with getting a complete pass through with a mechanical. Yeah. I don't think you, cause the, the main thing with the mechanical, right. Is, is the amount of energy that is absorbed upon impact. Is yeah. that, is that your big concern with mechanicals? Well, well yes, because I hit a, a buck that I'd chased for like five years, 210 inches. I hit him, I hit him high. And I think one of the reasons I didn't, and I didn't hardly get any penetration. Right. I think, and that was back in the day when I was shooting a lighter arrow. Right. So I think some of it had to do with the total arrow weight and some of it had to do with mechanical. Right. So I had a, not only low energy going to the deer, but then the mechanical opens and loses that much more energy. And it could have just been dumb luck. I, I hit, uh, probably hit a, a long high, but I'll tell you right now, if I shot that buck, the same, if I shot that buck with my current setup that I have, I would have just broke his spine in half. Cause I think that's what happened. I, I hit spine with one blade or something like that. And it just didn't, it just stopped. Right. So okay. I only got like six inches of penetration, okay, six or seven. And he lived and the neighbor shot him the next year. But that was the moment where I said, it's time to beef everything up and it's yeah. time to, and that I didn't necessarily jump to fix blades that next year, but that's when I started really thinking about it. And then in 2014, when I was going to Idaho for my first elk hunt, I said to myself, well, I can't shoot mechanicals, so this is forcing me, and it's, I can't shoot mechanicals in Idaho, but I also don't want to shift my arrow setup when I come back to hunt whitetails, so I just rode um, uh, fixed blades that whole season, and that is when I just kept doing research on hunting western game and and people talking about the benefits of fixed blades and uh, you know hear people talk about energy loss when mechanicals open and all that stuff where I just I, I guess I just kind of made the decision to shoot a you know sh start shooting fixed blades but then right. this year when I was having trouble with my rest or excuse me my sight the screw wasn't going and I thought it was my broadheads which it turned out it wasn't. It was just a loose screw on my site that I had to fix. I had since then jumped to a mechanical broadhead just to, you know, for accuracy, right? Because obviously mechanicals fly more like a field point than a fixed blade does. And so I ended up shooting my buck that year with a mechanical and I just destroyed him. 
liver lung shot. I mean, it was nasty. And, and that right there was like, man, I love what mechanical broadheads do though. So yes, it's just like you got, now I'm starting to, you know, question myself and my thought process again. So it's just, it's almost like every year I go back to the drawing board. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So yeah, let's see here. What, um, you know, you have FOC, you know, front of center arrow weight here on, on the things to talk about. You know, the more I listen, there's a, there's, there's people out there who think it's very important. And then there's people out there who think that spine and total arrow weight are more important than FOC, right? And obviously spine is important, but I think spine also plays a big role in um, total arrow weight where I think some people feel that if you are, if you have this big FOC up front, you, you have to have a stiffer spine because if you don't, that, that, that weight, that arrow is just going to bend like a spaghetti noodle. Right. Right. And then it's going to come off all crazy. So I guess for me, I am not a, like a, a huge FOC guy, like where I just think I'm going to do the calculations, uh, for FOC and make sure that it's this percentage or whatnot. I am however, a big fan of total arrow weight and trying to get it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you, man. I, um, I calculated my FOC just to see what it was. Uh, I really didn't care. Um, it was 12% for anyone that is interested. I think, I think they say once you start getting north of 15%, that's pretty severe. Yeah. I'm not, not a hundred percent sure. I didn't look a whole bunch into it. Cause yeah, like you said, it didn't, the whole FOC thing doesn't exactly interest me. It's just, it was total arrow weight is, uh, more so what I was, I was interested in. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so anything else that we need to talk about today? I mean, I, this was kind of just like a, like you said, just kind of a, a, a grab bag of, we talked about bows, we talked about arrows, sights, rest, a little bit about, uh, FOC. We talked about feet per second. We talked about draw weight, um, and total arrow weight. Is there any other thing like topics or categories that you can think of that kind of fall into this conversation? Uh, no, not, not exactly. I mean, there's stabilizers and stuff like that, but I don't get too big into stabilizers nowadays. Yeah, man. I'll tell you right now. I talked with a guy who knows his shit when it comes to shooting a bow. And he said that a stabilizer, he either said four or six inches long. If it's inside that, it doesn't do anything other than add weight to your bow. Like there's nothing to stabilize at that point. So right. a stabilizer only really matters past that point. Like, yeah. uh, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. I bought a stabilizer years ago and I guess I convinced myself that it was necessary. And then, uh, so I added, you know, weight to my bow basically. And I was like, Oh man, maybe I'm going to start shooting better. Maybe I'm going to start shooting better. And maybe I did, maybe it was because I practiced more. I don't think it was necessarily, um, because of the, uh, stabilizer, but then this guy starts talking to me. He's like, man, all you're doing is adding weight to your bow at this point. So I took it off and I started shooting and this was, uh, last year 
when I started, you know, I was shooting and shooting and shooting because I had elk, I had mule deer, I had whitetail, and I, there was no difference in my in my form, in my shot, in my the in my bow, like hand shock or anything like that. So, uh, what I'm going to suggest to everybody is go do your research on stabilizers and see what they actually do to help or how long they need to be to actually stabilize, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I've always kind of thought that not only, I I think you're right. The, obviously the longer, the longer the stabilizer, the more it's going to actually stabilize. But, um, don't they absorb some sort of, they got to absorb energy and noise. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that when you add that stuff to the bow, it could quiet it down a little bit. It could absorb some of that energy, but at the same time, you have to remember what's the goal, right? The goal is not to add a, if your bow is loud, right? That means that the bow isn't being efficient in delivering that arrow. However, if you screw in a stabilizer and it quiets up, what have you done? You've just quieted your, quieted your bow, your, your arrow is still being delivered inefficiently, right? So yeah. there's probably some other issues in there that need to be addressed, like maybe cam timing or, uh, you know, maybe you're at the wrong draw weight, maybe your form's shitty, maybe, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of other things that uh, need to be, you know, you need to think about before you just pop a stabilizer on and, and think that's the answer to your problems. Right. So... I don't know. Uh, I didn't shoot uh, this past year. I didn't shoot a stabilizer on my bow. I just kind of rolled with it. And you know, even if a even if you're testing a bow at a at a pro shop or at a store, and it has some hand shock in it, right? Add your sight. Add your rest. And typically, I sh- I'm not going to say typically because I I have yet to shoot every bow manufacturer out there. But for I know for my bows that that right there when you add a sight to it it starts to it starts to quiet it down just a little bit right but then there's other things that you have to do in order to get it you know shoot once you start shooting a heavier arrow that could solve some of your noise issues too right so yeah yeah i will say that vxr um i think it's i think it was known as kind of a quiet bow anyway but yeah uh, there's shooting a 520 grain arrow out of it it is it is very quiet. Yeah. So and, that, and it, it it holds very nice too. And I think part of that's because of the weight. But yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you this yeah. right now, man. Uh, I think that that is the sexiest sound when a bow is properly tuned and it delivers that arrow with hardly any noise, which is that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, that gets me going. Yeah, I had I had dude. Uh, I shot, I shot probably a hundred arrows last night and my shoulder, <laughs> talking about shooting high poundage, my shoulder definitely feels it today. Um, but yeah, it was the first time I had gotten my 60 yard pin and my 80 yard pin um, all dialed in, yeah. even set. It was the first time I even shot that bow at 60 or 80 yards. And my group at 60, the, fir- the, very, the first four arrows at 60, I mean, they were at, they were like, inner pie plate i was i was in disbelief 
I got back to 80, and I was just happy that all the arrows hit the target. <laughs> That's a fact, man. That's a fact. Well, Mr. Polanik, man, as always, thanks for hopping on and talking gear with us today. Um, I guess uh, we'll talk to you next time. Absolutely. Next time we should have some discussion about some cellular trail cameras because that's my latest investment and they are awesome. Didn't we already do that though? I just got my first one out on Sunday, so I'm going to go with no. Okay. Well, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Next next time we uh, get together, we'll talk about trail cameras and stuff. There we go. All right.